0: Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Twenty-one plus. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire one hundred and sixty-eight hours after issuance. cdkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Hey, welcome to the Hidden in the Artists podcast. We are back for another edition. Sean Martin, of course, with you. Joined by Jess Haney, new co-host that you're going to hear, and a new time slot for us as well. We are coming at you for the first time on a Tuesday afternoon, and this will be our new time slot to talk Cowboys with you here on Hidden Yardage. And we're joined by special guest Mike Fisher, of course, from CowboysSI.com. Cowboys fans know him well from covering the team. You can find him on Twitter at FishSports, Sports. And we have of course... Still heavy hearted and continuing to honor the legacy and remember the life of my podcast co host and team reporter and media extraordinaire and person extraordinaire that was Mark Lane. And so he leaves behind a uh, you know, big series, of course, for me to fill, for everybody to mourn the loss of really just a, you know, almost a full library of information that goes with him when it comes to his knowledge. On this team, and we'll try to replicate. So, as far as bookkeeping goes, for what to expect on this show, we're going to try to, of course, keep it in the same, you know, stream of uh, stream of consciousness, a lot of reading between the lines of what this team might really do, and you know, what's what's hype as opposed to what's reality, and uh, take you through the off season that way. And then once we get into the season, we won't be that quite immediate post game reaction for you. But I think that'll be better off as Jess and I will give you more of a you know, even-headed Tuesday reaction to the game as opposed to the immediate Monday afternoon thought. So with all of that, Mike Visser again with us, Jess Haney as well. And Mike, it's great to have you. I know you and Mark um, were close. I've been overwhelmed by the, you know, response that everything in his honor has gotten. There's the Mark Lane uh, Memorial Scholarship Fund, which we'll mention a couple of times throughout the show for anybody interested in donating to that or, or even just reading more about the person Mark was. It's all written very well uh, there on the page for the scholarship fund. There's been a dedication episode that came out just, you know, really a day or two after this news broke that me and David Howman did. So I thank Tim for being willing to jump on and be a part of that. But one thing I want to ask you off the top of this is, you know, the missing piece of what we've been talking about to honor Mark is what he was like you know, covering games or events in person. We're definitely in an interesting time media-wise where pretty much anybody can jump into any topic and, you know, whether you're on location or not and be able to cover it. And Jess and I are examples of this. Um, Although I did live in Texas for a short time, we both started outside of Texas covering the Cowboys and the same goes for many of us at BTB. But Mark moved to the Dallas area, worked with you closely. What can you tell us about You know, the person he was when it came time to actually put boots on the ground and uh, cover a game or an event or anything of the sorts.
2: Well, as you say, his encyclopedic knowledge—it really was. I I think the the accurate word is a savant. I I think he was a savant. He was he was a walking library. Uh, He was Google uh, embodied. And I first learned that this must be twelve years ago now, and I think I was at twenty four seven and. He and another uh, young guy who had become friends, bonded over the Cowboys, named Jordan Ross, who mm-hmm. now is an actor, um, they, they asked me if we could go to lunch and me give them some career advice. Well, we just get to talking and Jordan Ross was an uh, extremely knowledgeable and passionate Tony Romo fan. That was his niche. Yes, he was. And, <laughs> <laughs> right? Now, you, you know Jordan?
1: Uh, just uh, not personally, you know, just yeah, from yeah, social media. It, but- it, it, yeah,
2: he's amazing. And then Mark – um you you name a date uh and he would tell you what would happen on that date and it wasn't just cowboys either uh you'd show him a picture he'd tell you what game that photograph was from i'd never seen anything quite like it and so yeah we we carved out a way for those two guys to use their very special skills uh in very special ways and then of course mark took off in a million different positive directions from that he was uh so sweet as you know uh, really just a very sweet person in in all the best ways and at the same time uh, he was a tough little guy um, not just in terms of his fighting for his elbow room uh, on NFL coverage but of course then most of all through his health struggles and and uh, the more we've learned now in his passing the more we know that he had some health struggles struggles all along but uh, he, he was so willing to be to be your best friend and i obviously you learned that he, after he had moved back out of Dallas, I think he moved home to maybe take care of his relative, his mom, maybe or something. Mm-hmm. Um, when he would come into town, he would stay at my son's, Tony's house. And so, you know, he was kind of Tony's part-time roommate for a minute. So he was very much a part of the family. Um, you may not know this. He was close one, once upon a time to getting married. And this, this speaks to, to me, this is a really good Mark angle um, because he's so sweet and he didn't want to disappoint anybody. And you know, that's a, that's a difficult thing to do. You're getting close. I think the wedding was coming and he was talking to my wife, Marsha and, and talking about it and stuff. And, and he just decided I, it's just not right for me. Nothing against the woman. Not, well, that might've been the ballsiest thing he ever did.
1: Well, yeah. you know, you're,
2: you're, you're, you're going to pull out of your wedding right before the invitations are going out. But I think that again, I think that speaks to, yes, I'm very sweet. Uh, but, I, but I'm also tough when I need to be tough. Uh, And and he was all of that. I will tell you this, too. One of my first experiences with his level of want to. And I can't remember the exact. Again, we're going back 10, 12 years, but it must have been Stephen that was getting inducted in like the Arkansas Hall of Fame or something. So uh, Mark's in Dallas. "Fish, I'm going to drive up there and cover that. You know, let's get a credential. I said, that sounds that sounds great. And I think at the time, maybe that the Tyron Smith contract was up or there was some some singular big story. And Marcos Fisher, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk up to Steven and ask him about Tyron Smith. So I kind of said, okay, but you know, here's some advice and think about this. And got well, it was a snowstorm, like one of the worst in Texarkana history. And so, however long it takes you to drive from here to there, I don't know. It took him if it's a if it's a seven hour drive, it took him 21 hours to get there. I mean, you have well, f- 10 miles an hour in the snow. And he goes into the press. He goes into this meeting. And he just bullies right up to Stephen Jones. He said, Stephen, I, I'm with Mike Fisher from there. Blah, 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 and I, I, I want to ask you about times. And Stephen gave him a great quote. And Mark got in the car and drove 21 hours back home in the snow again. He uh, was just a a relentlessly focused, tough, sweet guy, Mark Lane.
1: Yeah, the story I said immediately with his passing was a piggyback off of um, the one that John McClain put out on Twitter about, how he drove from uh, Arkansas to Waco to be at his sports writing yes. Hall of Fame induction, and that was another big piece of who he was in terms of you already mentioned it with how willing he was to just uh, do these drives and these travels. So a running joke on uh, on this show that I never actually thought was fully a joke. Cause I always in the back of my head said he might be crazy in a good way enough to do this was now you've covered the team in person before fist so when they go when they go up to the giants have you ever been in new jersey and had a pork leg and cheese sandwich i don't believe i have had that wow okay so it it came up almost every episode it's uh it's an amazing thing to uh to have i'm a new jersey native so i know all about Ah. it but he would um I would always joke like, "Oh, we got to get you the sandwich, man!" Like in the off season, we would go closer and closer to week one. We we got to get it before week one. We, <laughs> get, we we got we got to do it before they play the Giants. And again, most of, mostly, I always thought it was a joke, and I would play along with it as a joke. But it was always part of me. either off the air talking to him, or after the show, completely. That would be like, "Hey, he might actually do this," and you know, if yeah. he was, <laughs> if he was, can I plan, you know, a way to meet him? And uh, it would have been obviously great to to do that together. But he never. Had the opportunity, but certainly the work ethic, on top of the encyclopedic knowledge, will be missed, as well yeah. as um, the transcription skill. To you know, I don't oh. think any of us any of us like transcribing. Jess, maybe you can jump in here and tell us about a time that you had to uh, transcribe something. It's not that fun. Fish certainly you have all those details, but Mark was uh, always on on the spot with those.
3: Yeah, no, I, I have never had to do straight transcription. Um, the closest I would have come would be in a medical setting, and we have fancy devices that do do most of that for us. So.
2: <laughs> no. well, well, we had a fancy device too, and its name was Mark Lane.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a um, – I'm sure most of you have seen this. I've said it already a couple of times. I've gone back to watch it, but uh, Danny Phantom, um, Dan Rogers, who is yeah. a – BTB longtime guy, he went and clipped it for us. Uh, Mark was on one of our round tables that happened, actually here every Tuesday as well, um, and he was on the round table, and it's just an amazing clip. It's one of you know many that sum up his work. I don't think it's like the defining one that you have to watch. Anything that you've seen about his work is certainly accurate, as so much has come out and been said about his, his passing for this, but the one that Danny said was Mark recalling what Bill Parcells said in a Monday night football production meeting, which how that even came out, you know, or he knew about this. <laughs> I don't know, but for it to come out is one thing, for it to be committed to memory is another, but yeah. our managing editor asked uh, Mark if they, if the Cowboys were seriously planning on Tyron Smith starting um, any games that year, um, his injury was looking like, you know, the OAC could be back was December and Mark just jumped in right away and said, well, yes, of course, they're counting on the play because Steven just said the other day on the team's radio station that, uh, that that's the case. And also I remember when Parcells said that you can easily hide, you know, one of your starting tackles, but the year he said that, they also were missing the right tackles. so It was hard to hide two of them. And it just, <laughs> it's an amazing clip. Um, you know, like I said, one of many though, that sums up uh, who he was. And again, let me reiterate, uh, you know, a sincere thank you to everyone. That reached out um, kind of yeah um, on not on my behalf but you know on his behalf and everyone had checked in in terms of the podcast because it didn't matter how you knew mark I mean you could even just be a person checking social media that saw that you know a good person passed away and that's all it takes to you know feel sympathy and um, and sorry for the family but Specifically, when it came to the podcast, I never quite knew um, that it reached that many people. You know, we, we took the work seriously. We, we did the work. Um, we had a lot of fun with it, but I never quite knew the impact it made in terms of um, how it connected me to Mark and how, now that he's gone, it, I had a lot of people reach out, including you, of course, Fis, to, uh, you know, say how much it meant to him from his perspective. And now we're going to keep the legacy going. Um, RJ asked if I wanted to change the name, and I said, Absolutely not. We're keeping the name, and we're keeping some of the same segments that Mark came up with. And um, yeah, good hitting the order to Beast in his honor. And, and you guys yeah.
2: know this, you know, whether you're you're young or whether you're an old coot like me, or or, or McLean <laughs> or Shereen, um, what, what what you do over the years, you get you you mentor somebody just a little bit. I mean, I I, I don't know, you know, I mean, he, he had some really good mentors. If I was in that group, I'm honored. But you think you're doing him a favor? And then you look back 12 years later and you realize, no, no, he, he did you a favor. And, and that's the real truth about me and Mark Lane.
1: Yeah. The the, uh, biggest thing that I saw coming out right after his passing that I was not surprised is not the right word, but I was, you know, pleasantly, um, you know, happy to be reading about was young. Like you said, other young reporters who attributed Mark as their, you know, foot in the door, um, to get this thing going. I didn't quite know that, um, he was that he had that opportunity, other than what he did with the Texans Wire as their managing editor, to give people those those foot in the doors. But uh, he sure did so, and I'm glad that we were together here um, on the podcast. Want to give the info again for the Mark Gray Memorial Scholarship campaign created by his sister, Monica Miller. You want to see how far his Rolodex uh, reached? A good way to do so is also just to look at. Um, who's donated so far, and you'll see a long list of known NFL names, so that's another way to know that his work was getting out there, but it's on givesendgo.com. Give, send go and you can just look up the Mark Lane Memorial Scholarship it's all over socials, and I'd be happy to point anybody in the right direction to, uh, to find this if they're so inclined to donate to um, the legacy of what was a great reporter and friend and person uh, with Mark <laughs>
4: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: So with that, we're going to go into it. It's actually been a while since we've been able to talk football uh, on this show. You know, a lot of things have gotten in the way, not just um, the heaviest of which being this Mark Lane news. But yeah been a bit um since we got in the dive into some cowboy stories and would you know it it's already combine week i can't i can't believe that (laughs) so um a lot going on with this team of course and we actually haven't even really had a chance on this platform to talk about the mike zimmer hire which we'll do a bit later but we're going to talk about it in the lens of you know you moved on from dan quinn was the style between mccarthy and quinn almost being two separate entities in the building was it working or was that also a reason for why you know, this team's shortcomings, most notably in that Packers loss on wildcard weekend? So we'll get to some things with Zimmer. But offensively, you know, one of the themes, certainly during the time where I was covering the team with Mark here in these off seasons, talking about the Cowboys right here on Hidden Yardage, it seems like every single offseason under McCarthy, wide receiver has been a need. They have not been able to have a set, receiver room where you can say you can focus on other needs and do what we need to do to strengthen the offensive line or all defense, what have you. Receiver's been a constant point of need. There's no overstating how big of, you know, an importance it is at the NFL level right now. I mean, the very reason the Kansas City Chiefs were supposed to have a down year this year, despite everything good going for him, number one, two, three, and four being Mahomes, but, you know, 4A being an already Super Bowl-winning coordinator on defense, just is Dee who now gets his fourth ring. You know, so many other positive things to point to for the Chiefs as an example, and in, and yet everybody dwelled on, oh, well, they're not good enough to receiver. him. Mahomes is great, and he's a legend already, but he can't elevate these guys to get where they ultimately want to go, which is the Super Bowl, and they proved us all wrong. So is just finally to year of this where receiver is more of a set position for McCarthy, and he can feel good, you know, as good as he can with... Contract you second year calling the offense uncertainty on defense, but can he at least bank on this receiver group not needing a lot of work to continue to run the offense that he installed and hopefully take another step?
2: Well, your chief's point is interesting. I think we to, to be fair to the rest of the world, we we might have to consider some of what they do an aberration. Well, that, just because that, of the that, quarterback. That, <laughs> yeah, I mean that he makes everything different. I mean, there was no if, if you were a betting man and you saw that game the way it played out in the Super Bowl, and I was there, of course. And they, oh, he get, oh, oh, Mahomes gets the ball next. Yeah, oh, oh, you're, you're picking, you're picking Mahomes. You're picking him every time, and and you're, you're going to win money a lot of those times. So uh, I still, you know, if you watch them over the course of the regular season, I know you did. I guarantee you, the three of us were screaming at the TV, going, "That general manager should get fired. He can't find a wide receiver." They got nothing. And then, of course, the tight end was so busy dating that he had, in in terms of actually catching the ball, he had his worst year ever. And I say that only half jokingly. So um, the the, the more conventional way now to do it, look around. Philadelphia has two of them. Uh, Miami has two of them. San Francisco has two of them, although Brandon Ayuk's girlfriend doesn't seem to like the idea. Uh, So the Cowboys are behind the eight ball by only having one C.D. lamb. Because a bunch of these other teams that they're competing with have two C.D. Lamb-esque guys. Uh, it's too bad that the Michael Gallup injury uh, took him out of you – know, eliminated that from him because he might have been on that track. Um, I do think it's amusing, though. Like, did, did you guys think that Brandon Cooks was bad? No, not at all. I didn't either. Uh, so NFL.com the other day, they're writing, they're writing that the Cowboys should cut Gallup and Cooks.
3: No, yeah, they're and saying that they're
1: immediately flipped the script to you know why is receiver the biggest need for this team again, r- r- right? The, the, and I and again I'm, when I when I do this
2: and I do this a lot, I'm not trying to rip anybody or make fun of anybody. I, you know, if they've got the balls to put it on NFL.com, I think they should have the balls to be able to to, to debate their point and try to win it. Hmm. The the thing was, the Cowboys have a hole at the number two receiver. Therefore, they should cut Gallup and Cook. No, then. Then you'll have a hole at the number two, three, and four receiver. <laughs> so but would I like to go get another C.D. Lamb? And is it is it uh, theoretically possible? Sure. But if I'm understanding it right, the net that you get from cutting Brandon Cooks is only $6 million a room. If you cut Brandon Cooks and and it costs you $6 million, then you have to go hire another Brandon Cooks. Now it just costs you $12 million. So maybe you should just take the Brandon Cooks you got and, and, and try to get better supplement if you can find somebody better than Brandon Cooks and he's your third receiver, good for you. And I don't know yet that Jalen Brooks or Jalen Tobert might not deserve an OTA crack at that.
3: Yeah, I would um definitely say Brandon Cooks, that's that's not giving him his fair credit from last year. He got off to a slow start, but he also was yes. dealing he also was dealing was it I can't remember if it was a knee or an ankle, but he was dealing with something very early in the season. And so between that and just having to develop some chemistry with Prescott, the Brandon Cooks you got the the last two thirds of the season, he was great. And if he and if he's only counting ten million against your cap next year, I'm taking that. Whether he's number two or even number three,
2: yeah. If uh, if Mike Evans wants to come stumbling in here and contribute, uh, and I'm I'm being somewhat sarcastic because I, I just find those kind of things to be goofy. Uh, then, then we can we can reevaluate this. Uh, I just I don't think that there's an affordable relative to the cap and where the Cowboys want to go. I don't think there's a lot of affordable options in free agency that make more sense than Brandon Cooks where he's at now. Um,
0: and and I guess
2: we should say this too: you're you're always gonna you know you want to throw those darts in the draft, but you've thrown two of them, and with Jalen and Jalen, uh, I'm not I'm not sure that that can't work out okay too. So. I don't. I'm not very panicky about the cowboy receiver situation, except when I see them line it up against Philadelphia, Miami, San Francisco, and go. Well, if I was a cowboy fan, I sure wish I had. Sure wish I had two of them. I mean, don't you wish you had Waddle as your number two receiver? Wouldn't that be something? Uh, T. Higgins as your number two receiver? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, the, hey, the Cowboys don't have that.
3: Hey, how about Amari Cooper? Oh, well, maybe <laughs> I should.
2: Maybe let me, I let me say this that. about that, because I do I, I do have some insight into what went down there. And, you know, you talked about how it took a minute for Brandon Cooks to, to kind of be part of the chemistry here. But in terms of his fit in the building, Brandon Cooks fit right away. Uh, the, the, his personality fit, whereas. Uh, Amari Cooper, it was decided by the people upstairs that that he is not a foundational person for us. Hmm. and should they have gotten more from him in trade yeah the, the getting a five for him in trade is that was preposterous they they, <laughs> they just they weren't very patient there but th- they created this formula of their cap pie and they said we could only have so many 20 million dollar guys and if we if, so for somebody to be a 20 million dollar guy he's got to be a foundational person and they decided that amari cooper was not that and they watched game film um was it set was against it san francisco uh, no, Phil, I can't remember which game it was, where it didn't look like he was trying very hard. And that that rubbed the people upstairs the wrong way. And that was the end of that. Amari Cooper puts up some numbers in Cleveland, though. Uh, I can't deny that. But the Cowboys would like to find a better way to do that with overall chemistry and effort and commitment.
3: And, and that's, just, Go ahead, just I was going to say, and, and that's fair. I mean, there's always those different um, dynamics that come into play that we only get. Snippets of um the one thing too to, to factor into all this, you know, when you're talking about your your receiving group, you got to factor in um where Jake Ferguson and a second round pick in Luke Schoonmaker also factor in to the
2: firepower um,
3: that you hope so. You hope
2: so on on Schoon. You hope so, right? He, he he better since since you announced to the world we are absolutely positively going to draft a tight end high. No matter who, no matter what, no matter what, we're going to do it, uh, it. That better work because drafting drafting per position is a terrible idea, and it's a terrible idea every single time every single team does it without exception. Doesn't mean it can't accidentally work, but it is a it's an awful plan. And the Cowboys deserve to be uh, roasted because last year it appeared they did that in the first and second round.
1: Well, that's something yeah. I kind of want to ask about because one of the fun things if you can call it that, based on how early we had to talk about this Cowboys team not being in the playoffs, but one of the things that we did here on the show after they were bounced by the Packers was kind of by the minute compare the teams that were moving through the playoffs back to them, and it's like, okay, what are they doing right that um, clearly the Cowboys weren't, you know, it was fun in some of those compelling close games to have to flip the script, you know, I think maybe the best example of that is the NFC Championship game where it's like, okay, if the Lions win, do you need you know, a Dan Campbell-type coach, or do you need to have a Ben Johnson-type offensive coordinator, and um, to get to where the Cowboys want to go? And then, of course, if we the last second to the 49ers, and it's okay, well, it's a Sanahan scheme again. But I want to ask this: you, know, you mentioned you were in person at the Super Bowl, which is the last game between you know teams that we can compare back to the Cowboys. The ultimate champion ends up being you know the hardest team to compare anything to because they have the you know, most improbable quarterback um, that can't be replicated with Mahomes. But what was your kind of biggest takeaway for, you know, what what these teams um, are doing differently in terms of how Dallas is looking at? You mentioned as far back as Amari Cooper, they didn't want, you know, we know he's more of a quiet reserve type person. They didn't want that to be your wide receiver one. But now you have a situation where the only Headlines coming out about CDLM, you're definitely established wide receiver one, have been relatively negative this off season in terms of some of the, you know, chatter. And we haven't gotten too much into that and we won't hear. But it hasn't been, you know, glowing in terms of Lamb's uh, publicity. This offseason, that's why I think it's even more important to harp on the fact, like you did, that it certainly seems like the Prescott to Brandon Cooks connection is one that is not only solid at the moment, but has room to grow, which the Cowboys desperately need as they try to keep this offense playing well, going into an all-important season for McCarthy and Prescott and, and all that, but... What really is the identity of this offense? Because, I mean, we say it's West Coast because McCarthy way back when was, you know, came up as a West Coast guy, but then we watched Sanahan in the Super Bowl and it looks way different. We watched even Andy Reid adjust and not go full, you know, West Coast, but we watched him run the ball more than he would if he had his all-star cast of receivers. We know the Cowboys offense was dominant at home this year and that was mostly by kind of playing like, really, it seemed like their own style. It wasn't, you know, it was only West Coast because of McCarthy calling it, but it was really just air it out and, you know, forget about the run game and score a lot of points, probably mostly to Brandon Cook, especially in those home games. And then on the road they would go into this cell of themselves and try to Play more to those west coast base looks it seemed and shorter passes and get those tight ends involved in a way that kind of looked rigid and awkward and forced and so what is the identity of you know this offense that they can hang their hat on moving forward before they make these decisions especially if the combine coming up about you know oh is receiver or tight end where we need to lean or is running back a position where we need a physical between the tackles guy or do we need another receiving threat you know what do you see is um where they can hang their hat on offense
2: you know, I, I kind of try to fight against the cliches that have taken root uh, and and maybe even also some of the trends that you just didn't – like um, the, the trends and the habits and the and the, like the social mores of what happens now that didn't happen uh, 30 years ago. For instance, guys talking about their money. The, the Dallas – the 90s Super Bowl Cowboys did not talk about each other's money. They did not talk in public about their money ever. Uh, have you ever heard me tell the Emmett Smith, James Washington, Pepsi can story? No, but go ahead. Okay, they're on the team plane coming home, and they just won. And uh, we you know back in those days, you know we they, they tore the plane apart. They're having a ball. Uh, that obviously, uh, and when Eric Williams got in his near fatal car wreck, that was the end of that. No more alcohol on the plane ever again after that. But it was it was a it was a it was a raucous party. It was Animal House. Um, and at some point, Emmett Smith is sitting in row three, and James Washington is in row seven, and Emmett can hear James Washington, and he can hear him talking about his contract. And I think at the time, James Washington was splitting time with Thomas Everett. Which, by the way, I don't know how old you guys are, but you, you know who Thomas Everett is.
3: Well, I do. I don't know about Young Buck okay. over here.
1: It's okay, a, I can vaguely recognize that. Mark would know.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah, no doubt. He's a badass. And that's how deep that, that roster was. Is James Washington was a badass, and Thomas Everett was a badass, and, and they had them both. So James Washington was griping about the contract, and because it was so against the law to talk about your money, Emmett Smith stood up, turned around, picked up a full Pepsi can, and threw it right into James Washington's face from three rows away to tell him to shut up. And that was the end of that. Whereas now, and I I'm, I'm don't mean to call out any particular player, but like every guy that's up for his contract is basically, Micah has said it, uh, Dak hasn't, CeeDee Lamb has said it, and it's openly said, yeah, I want to be the highest paid player at my position in in the history of the sport. And I, I don't, something about that, It's I think it's healthy to want that. There's something about me, maybe I'm just an old coot. There's something that I don't think is healthy about announcing it. It, it doesn't, it, that, that vibe doesn't feel right to me. Same thing you mentioned that CD Lamb's mom, and this isn't CeeDee Lamb's fault or Micah's fault or Dak's fault, but what I've come to call bro-bro-mama drama. Bro-bro-mama drama, where I got Parsons' brother, Dak's brother, and CD Lamb's mom all announcing the problems in a locker room that they've never been in. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, it creates the impression, which usually isn't true, that what they're saying is something that is reflected in a conversation they had with their cowboy player brother or son. And, of course, all three guys, I I take it back, not Dak, but he will. Micah and CD have both come forth and say, no, that that has nothing to do with me. They they get to say what they want. Well, if it was my my show, they do not get to say what they want. My brother does not get to go on – to Twitter and talk about me. Period. Or my money. Or my role. Or my friends. Or my trade me. Or move me. Or trade Dad's ass. Or any of that stuff. And he doesn't get to do it. Period. Or I'll. Or he'll be out of the will. But he especially doesn't get to do it if he's on my payroll. As is the case, obviously, with many of the relatives. So, so that bothers me very much. And then the way you started this conversation, I'll say this quickly: that copycat league thing, which has been around forever. So this is so stupid to me. So if the 49ers win, the best way to win is to copy the 49ers. But if the Chiefs win, the best way to win is to copy the Chiefs. But they went to overtime, and the ball has two points on it, and it just bounced money. So a point on a ball determines which is the right way, A or B. I just I just don't believe in that. I, I think there's some foundational things that teams do to win. For instance, the 49ers foundation is that they they are rough and tumble they they play and when they play the cowboys it shows that playoff game a couple of years ago the toughest guy on the field was a running back named debo mm-hmm. who, who was actually a wide receiver he was the baddest man on the field and and the cowboys did walk away from that mike mccarthy walked away from that and chanted it almost down the hallways of the star saying we we need to, we need to win some street fights around here we need big guys to win some street fights They've done that a little bit more. But don't you agree? Big guys who win street fights is a fundamental thing. That's not a cliche. That's not a, um, oh, what's, what's, our, what's our identity? Yeah, my identity is my nose tackle uh, is is 6'4 and 330 pounds, and you do not mess with him. That's the beginning of my identity. And the Cowboys don't have near enough of that uh, in this era, or, by the way, in the previous one either.
1: I couldn't agree more on that. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway from the Super Bowl, you know, in the early goings before it got down into crunch time and through an exciting overtime period, of course, was, you know, just the physicality at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, you watch Dallas games, like, man, they don't, they don't look like this. You know, just – I can't point to a specific play or – You know, we know the the players across the line of scrimmage. There's some huge names in the 49ers defensive line and, you know, they go out and get Chase Young and we know the Chiefs kind of remade the offensive line on the fly from the home. So we know the players, but just take the names out of it. Just, you know, eye test. There was a different level of physicality and setting the tone up front that um, was missing when you watch this current Cowboys team. And like you said, as they try to kind of I wouldn't say reestablish a new identity on offense. Their goal this offseason is to, you know, twofold to just grow under what McCarthy did because there was a lot of positive and ultimately enough for the Joneses to decide not to move on from him in the offseason. I mean, they did, they, they did have the number one offense in football. Hmm. Well, but we did right? that under so Kevin Moore more plenty of times and still. That's, ended that's up, true. So. Yeah. That's and
2: true. This and is- so that, that, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No,
3: I was just going to say, and the whole idea of styles is, I think it all goes back to that point. The Chiefs' style is dependent on a player who comes along once every 20 years. I mean, you can't can't even begin to say, we're going to do what the Chiefs do uh, without that guy. Um, Just just as much as there's a lot of teams that would love to do what the Cowboys have been doing on defense, uh, but do you have Micah Parsons? (laughs) Do you have these exceptional ball hawk corners like Diggs and Bland? I mean, it's just... There is some of this that just comes down to having the talent. And that's, I think, the thing that's going to be interesting. Like, this is where the Cowboys completely failed in McCarthy's first year in 2020. They brought in Mike Nolan, who had no idea what to do with the players that he had. And it was a hot mess. Whereas, you know, hopefully, you know, Dan Quinn obviously did a much better job of that. So this, I think that the biggest story of this offseason is... What Mike Zimmer is going to bring on defense, and is it going to change this defense from one that's so reliant on big plays to one that, if AJ Dillon is, or I'm sorry, Aaron Jones is running down your throat, play after play after play, you can actually do
2: something about it. Right, that somebody can do something about it. Uh, Let me go back to your Mike Nolan. This is a fascinating, uh, like a sports debate for me. So here's what I here's what I say happened to Mike Nolan. And and it's McCarthy's fault too. This is COVID year, right? So he did, they yeah, come he didn't in,
1: get an off season.
2: Yeah, so they come in in a COVID off season. New head coach, new coordinator, and the first thing they decided to do, and it was moronic. And these are not stupid men, but it was a horrible mistake. They decided to install a new defense with new terminology, with players they'd never met, and because of COVID, we're not going to meet. So they installed a new defense with new people with new terminology with strangers over zoom or <laughs> Cybex or whatever it was called, whatever the Cowboys used. Okay. Well, n- now we all laugh about it. Cause it's, it's actually, it's quite brazen. That's pretty, that's pretty cocky. But, um, so, so I'm going to teach you Mandarin Chinese over zoom and we've never met. It's impossible. So I don't think Mike Nolan – in fact, if you look at Mike Nolan's history, Mike Nolan's a good – he's a good football coach. Mike Zimmer's a good football coach. Dan Quinn's a good football coach. That pointy ball is a lot of what makes the difference. In a different time and place, uh, Mike, Mike Nolan would be fine. And in different times and places, as you guys know, he was fine, right? He's, he's, not, a, he's, he's not a dumb man. He just did a dumb thing. Uh, and Dan, here along comes Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn's a hero around here for three years. Then they give up forty-eight points against against Green Bay, and there's there's actually Cowboy fans who think that he lost on purpose because he wanted to get a leg up for the Commander's job that he was about to take. It's just it's insulting, and now along comes Mike Zimmer. I've known Mike Zimmer for thirty years. Uh, when and this happen this, this it, it happens every time that this coach is going to get fired. That coach is going to get fired. If this coach is a friendly palsy avuncular guy, and then he leaves, people are going to say he was too friendly. That's what. In fact, Dave Campo said it about Quinn. Dave Campo obviously mentored a Zimmer. When right. Zimmer leaves here, you know what, okay, he's too. He, he wanted to be. Uh, he wanted to be their pals. Too friendly. Yep. So Quinn, get out of here. You're too friendly. When we get Zimmer out of here, you know what we're going to say about him. Not friendly enough. <laughs> and, and, and that's and that's the way we do it. Uh, we, we Jason Garrett was too – he was great until he wasn't. Uh, McCarthy, of course, around here a lot of people never are going to give McCarthy a chance to be considered great. Tom Landry was great until he wasn't. Bud Grant was great until he wasn't. They were all great until they weren't. And then inevitably, almost, what happens, by the way, is and, – and look back in history, you see this. The tough guy coach, the drill sergeant, when he leaves – they never replace him with another drill sergeant. They replace him with a nice guy. So Parcells, get out of here. Wade Phillips, come on in. Wow, Wade you, Phillips, you just, you're you just the- read my mind. Yeah. Right? Okay, and I, don't, and I don't just mean the Cowboys. I mean in in NBA, NFL, across history. Because the locker room and the front office saying, God, that guy was an asshole. Can we please not get another asshole in here? And then the next thing you go, we, we bring somebody else, the opposite kind of guy. I've I've written about this forever. I hope I can recite it off the top of my head. There's only four kinds of coaches, basically. And obviously they all, you know, the streams all cross. But you got the, the professor, the pal, the uncle, and the drill sergeant. Those are the four. And, I'm and slightly curious way. what
1: the uncle one means, but
2: well, um, Barry Switzer.
1: Okay. Got it. He
2: he's he's your he's he's not your pal.
1: Um
2: and obviously he is friendly. And he's professorial and he could be tough, but most of all, he's, he's, he's just a good old uncle. And, um, I wonder what Troy was professor? Well, we've, we've, we've had those conversations uh, yeah. many, many times. <laughs> I, I will say this. And, and, you know, I mean, Troy Aikman lived it in, in a way that none of the rest of us ever will, but, but I, we, I mean, I had conversations with him every day about it that year almost really, uh, and I still to this day tell him that that not even he knows some button that Barry Switzer pushed that Aikman's unaware of that helped him win that game. Amen. Um, I'll, I'll, in fact, I'll tell you one. And, and as you might tell, not only am I an Aikman guy, but I'm a Switzer guy going way back. They couldn't get they they, they had a, a a very gifted future Hall of Fame defensive end wearing number ninety four. And I think there was three straight days of work that he didn't show up for. He was homesick, and Barry Switzer went to the pharmacy in Carrollton and got his medicine and brought it to his house and made him take it. Huh. And I don't even know if Troy knows that. And and, and you, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. So so you know, Barry Switzer Barry Switzer's a dipshit. Barry Switzer's a loser. Barry Switzer's a gomer. I, I don't know. He went to the pharmacy. And said, "I'm Barry F. and Switzer. Give me Charles Haley's medicine. I'm taking it to him." <laughs> and, and I, and, I, and I, I just don't think you could totally. I, I, you know, we try to put these guys in a box. Whether it's Mike Nolan or Mike Zimmer, and and I and I and I don't think most humans fit in a box. And I know these coaches don't either.
3: Well, and you get into all the chicken and the egg um, debates, and you know the the reverse of what we've said is that success validates all styles and personalities, and failure. Yeah. It becomes the grounds to blame everything, and it's it's like looking at a team like, um, and I don't I could go on forever about Jason Garrett's time here, but like the the constant um, crapping on certain coaches, certain players, and it's like if you you cannot this is not basketball, you cannot look at one guy, one coach, one person on the team and ever really blame or credit them for anything. There are those rare exceptions, those tides that you know rise all ships like a Pat Mahomes. But I don't really think we've had a guy like that in Dallas for a long time. So, so um, it's always been team effort, team success, team failure here.
2: Right. Uh, it's a thousand links in the chain. That's what I say. Um, when, when they give the equipment manager his Super Bowl ring, he earned it. He earned it because you know the Cowboys are aren't the only ones. They're all like this, like the old old Buck Buchanan. You guys know Bucky Buchanan now, his son, who's who's one of the equipment managers. Old Buck Buchanan was here for thirty years. He Buck Buchanan was a was was this team's psychologist. Uh, he had been in the military, you know, and you know he, he just it just looks like he's hanging out, handing out socks and jocks, but but he was he was part of the pulse of the locker room and. Ten thousand links in the chain. You just you just can't take away one and know what impact it's going to have, and you don't know what impact it's going to have when you insert one until after they win the Super Bowl, and then we all say, "Well, of course, we always knew they were great." No, no, we didn't. The the ninety two Cowboys had no idea that they were any good. They really did not that good until all of a sudden that they were.
1: NFL Combine coming up this week, Mike Fisher with CowboysSI.com. We just talked about, I didn't plan on going all the way back to the Mike Nolan days, but it paints an interesting picture in terms of, you know, some of the turmoil that the McCarthy era has faced, and one of which is now having his third defensive coordinator on staff, and it's yet another one that can kind of command that side of the ball in the room, whereas McCarthy can keep that focus on the offense, whether whether or not that's a good thing, as it's going to be the similar style to how, you know, Dan Quinn ran things, uh, remains to be seen. It won't be the same X's and O's, and it won't be the same personality, though, in the defensive meeting rooms when it comes to Quinn versus Zimmer, so we'll talk more about that as these weeks go on. But worth noting, Nider coach will be in attendance at the Combine, so I f- uh, perhaps find that interesting. But uh, Mike, give us a little preview of uh, what we can expect as far as coverage, um, Cowboy-centric coming out of Indianapolis this week.
2: Yeah, and we wrote uh, at the start of the week at CowboysSI.com about what you just said. I- I'm I find that to be outrageous. Uh that and and McCarthy's not the only head coach is not going. There's like four of them now. And uh Shanahan and McVeigh are two of them, and they're no dummies. So there there must be I mean, obviously they found a justification, but I'll just tell you uh, and and I think you guys might need to close up shop here, so I'll I'll go quick. But For years and years and years, I've sat next to scouts in press boxes, Um, some of the best scouts that, and you would know their names. And I remember one guy, I was there really early one day, it was at SMU. We were an SMU game and I was there really early. And I said, why are you here so early? And he told me, he said, I like to go out in the parking lot and watch the bus pull up. I go, yeah. And he goes, I want to see how my kid that I'm scouting, I want to see how he interacts with his teammates. I want to see how he's dressed. I want to see how he talks to his dad in the parking lot. Then I want to watch him warm up on the field. And I want to see if he warms up seriously. Is he out there just kind of goofing around or is he really, really stretching? And then, and I said, what about after the game? He said, yeah, I'm the last guy to leave. And another scout, I, uh, I won't say what team it was. Another scout left the game at halftime and my guy laughs. And he goes, he goes, you know what that is? And I go, what? I go, he's a bad scout <laughs> because he, he missed, not only he missed the second half of the game, he goes, I'm going to go in the parking lot the second half of the game, and I'm going to watch my kids and see how they are with their mom and their girlfriend. And so, in other words, I want everything. I want his hand with – I don't just want his 40 time. We're all going to have his 40 time. I want, I'm going to get his hand with not only off a sheet of paper. I'm going to know his hand with because I'm going to go shake his hand. And, yes, the Cowboys will have a bunch of people there. They'll be fine. It's not going to mean they're going to screw up their draft. But I, I'm a little bothered that whether it's McVeigh or Shannon or anybody thinks, ah, I'll just watch the film. You, you guys send me some reports. I'll watch the film on TV like Jess Haney. Jess, you're going watch it, to watch it on TV. I'll watch it on TV with you. I'll get a good enough judgment. And then we'll have our 30 visits and we'll have Dallas Day. I just can't believe that you would skip a week of golden information because yeah. you think you're just going to get it off TV.
3: And for McCarthy especially, because I think A, he's going into this do or die year, you would think yes. he was just he would just want to have his finger on everything. And on top of that, he's kind of got this reputation. It goes back to the Packers days and the whole thing about him being hands off and Ted Thompson handling everything. You would think that he would want to do something about that perception. Um but this yes. just this just
2: reinforces it. Okay, I'm glad you agree with me on on the the the, the fact of it. And then, as you say, there's also the perception of it. Um, now, in Green Bay, they didn't let him buy the groceries. Here, of course, as you know, the head coach is very involved in personnel. And he still will be involved in personnel. That won't change. So will Zimmer. That's all great. Um, but you, you make a good point. When those guys, when McCarthy kind of announced, he said, well, we're going to, you know, our time's going to be better spent here. Big Mike, you got plenty of time. You, you, you can go to the combine for five days and then come back here and spend an extra hour. You, you want to? I mean, you need more time with Mike Zimmer. Come in an hour early, stay an hour late. Um, take, shave a day off your vacation. There, it's there. There isn't a, I mean, you talk about a time crunch. There is not a time crunch between right now to, to install a defense or get to know each other. There's plenty of time in the day to do all of it. And I, I agree with you. If I was Mike McCarthy this year. If I went on vacation with my family, which obviously he should and he deserves to, and God bless him, I wouldn't tell anybody. I wouldn't tell anybody that I went on vacation. Uh, and and personally, and I do this in my life and you guys probably do too. And so does McCarthy. If it's time to grind, it's time to grind. And right now for the Dallas Cowboys, it's time to grind.
1: It absolutely is. And we'll be on top of any Combine storylines, of course, at boys.com here on the podcast network with this Tuesday edition of Hidden Yardage. So good to be in a new time slot, a uh, new direction of the show, but certainly honored and uh, proud to um, keep Mark's name through it all as we um, keep the name Hidden Yardage, which is something me and him both collectively came up with. He actually, uh, Mike, you probably may not know this. I'll tell a quick story and we'll get out of here. But um, he went to last year's Combine. And he told me only a little bit about this plan, but he told me basically he was going to ask as many players as he could questions with hidden yardage as a football term in the question in hopes of getting back, you know, some audio <laughs> that we we could use as like a show <laughs> or, a, or a drop. And we didn't use it all that often because he didn't go to the Cowboys and, you know, it's a quarterback and it's different. But Will Levis, of course, with the Titans now, uh, ended up giving us the best soundbite, I guess, and he said, I'll have to go find it. He said something along the lines of uh, hidden yards is everything. It's how you win games, it's deported, or something like that. And every now and then we would use that to uh, to open the show, thanks to Mark being
2: very good, <laughs> <in the> right <laughs> very place,
1: good. right time with his you know, Zoom recorder or what have you um, to get that audio. So. Mike, we can't thank you enough for being here. Hope to do it again soon. Jess, welcome to the uh, the new edition of this show. Of course, we'll get to know you more as we um, um, move forward with Hidden Yardage. Until then, we'll have you covered for the NFL Combine and all things Cowboys and Pepsi cans and Mike Nolan and uh, <laughs> all, no, off-season goodness here on a Hidden Yardage podcast. And there it is.